There's never been a point in my career where I couldn't find uh, Republican colleagues to work with. There's never been a point in my career where I couldn't find somebody in the Bush administration to work on international water and sanitation or uh, fighting illegal logging. I mean, there's always been an opportunity. And um, this is just uh, really disorienting and uh, very distressing. From the studios of Kink Radio, it's the Portland 50, a podcast series about the people who dreamt, built, and championed the innovation, growth, and uniqueness of Portland. The Portland 50 series is brought to you by Jaguar Land Rover Portland. One company, two iconic brands. Jaguar Land Rover Portland is a Don Rasmussen company, the legendary Portland institution serving our community since 1950. I'm your host, Peggy LaPointe. Today, I talk with Congressman Earl Blumenauer, a former state representative, Multnomah County Commissioner, and Portland City Council member. Congressman Blumenauer was elected to the U.S. House of Representatives in 1996, where he advocates for mass transit and bike commuting, human rights, sustainable energy, health care, and cannabis. Congressman Blumenauer is also a member of the Ways and Means Committee. I am a product of Portland, for better or worse, um, and my adult life basically coincides with the history of kink. It does. <laughs> it does indeed. We have... Uh, Went on the I've, air when I was in college and yeah. and lots of moments with some of your personalities. Absolutely. When I produced the morning show, you came on very often with Les. And so that was fantastic getting to know you in that way. Some of the things that I didn't know about you, when you were at Lewis and Clark, poli-sci degree, political science, you were active getting out uh, a Go19 campaign that was trying to lower the voting age, and that failed, but it was part of the movement nationwide. Yeah, it was uh, really an exciting time uh, to suddenly become involved politically. Uh, the voting age was my first initiative. We were able to lead the campaign in Oregon that, although uh, unsuccessful, led uh, to my efforts to be working on the national constitutional amendment, which... Right was successful and then just brought me into the process uh, because it was an exciting time to be a young person who was involved with politics. Uh, Earth Day, yep. uh, the first Earth Day, um, uh, the engagement that uh, surrounded the opposition to the war in Vietnam right. uh, really led to a whole range of other areas of activism. We had a generation of people who uh, little older than I, who went off to college someplace and then came back to make their careers here. Mm -hmm. uh, there were spirited campaigns for the city council uh, and the legislature, which was my uh, first elective office uh, just uh, seemingly a few months after uh, I was uh, out of college. <laughs> um, but it was an exciting time to be involved. People were deeply concerned about mm -hmm. environmental things, uh, the Mount Hood Freeway uh, galvanized right. uh, people in the area of southeast Portland that uh, I represented. Half were for it, half were against it. I, I was against it. Um, uh, the, 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 the level of engagement in little things that, um, like the People's Army Jamboree, the American Legion convention here with Spiro Agnew, where... Oh. Uh, it inspired 
uh, McCall and some of his people to have the Vortex uh, rock concert. But there was uh, serious activism and deep concern about potential violent protests. Yeah. The more, more things change, uh, <laughs> the more they stay the same. Right. And, and, and kink was a, a part of that evolution. Very much a part of that as well. The, the late 60s, I mean, you uh, graduated, or, or the Oregon, the Go 19 campaign was around 1969, 1970. Yeah. This political movement, this, uh, the war and, and all this activism, is that what sort of inspired you for political science or was there something else? It was the other way around. I was, yeah. I was studying government. It was the, uh, these, the, this energy on particularly the war, but also environmental issues. And mm-hmm. then people being concerned about the shape of the city, taking control of it, um, and the role that they would play, protecting neighborhoods. Right. Uh, Portland was, uh, has entered a period of decline. Uh, things that happened that weren't carefully planned. Uh, serious controversies about whether or not there would be something like Pioneer Square, uh, whether you're going to build that Mount Hood Freeway, whether you'd take out uh, Waterfront uh, Drive and create a park. Right. Um, these were uh, parts of uh, an, an activism that was really driven by a broad coalition of just citizens. Yeah. Um, Elsa Coleman was uh, a woman with the League of Women Voters. Okay. Uh, Jean Roy, uh, I think some of these folks who helped really hold the city's feet to the flames mm-hmm. about some of the uh, environmental standards, the downtown plan, the parking lid, which nobody remembers anymore, but there was, a neg- we were violating clean air standards one day out of three. Uh, An agreement was negotiated with the federal government to put a cap on the number of parking spaces in downtown Portland. 49,318 was (laughs) all the parking spaces uh, so that uh, there was a more uh, reasonable management of parking. uh, Changed the land use designs. I mean, it's it all sort of uh, in a curious way, hung together, and there at each step of the way, there were citizens who decided that they were going to be involved um, mm-hmm. and helped really drive that change. So that time of, in Portland was a very critical time where, you know, Portland was sort of deciding, you know, who do we want to be and which way do we want to go? You mentioned the Mount Hood Freeway, yep. certainly a big one of that. So the Portland City Council, you were elected, um, well, first you were elected Oregon House of Representatives while you were still a student. That was in 1972. You served there for about eight years? Six years. Six years? Yep. Yeah, you're better at math than I am. No, no. Uh, What were the driving forces there for you? What were the things you were interested in? Well, it was an opportunity to translate the things that I had studied, the things that I had agitated for, Mm -hmm. to be actually able to enact them in policy. The legislature... Uh, in 1972 had a sea change. Um, Democrats took control Mm. of both chambers, and we had a Republican governor who was willing to work with Democrats. (laughs) Imagine that. (laughs) Uh, And Tom McCall was was, uh, very flamboyant, uh, but he had a good team, and we were able to work with them on land use planning. Uh, We created a transportation commission, Mm -hmm. 
and it was, uh, I think, arguably the most, I think, independent observables might have been the most consequential legislative session um, in history. Things happened in terms of tax, education, environment, uh, and ushered in a period to be, I was able to go to the legislature with Vera Katz, mm-hmm. Gretchen Kafori. Right. Um, there were uh, Hardy Myers. There were a, a wide range of younger people. Probably a third of the people there were under 40, hmm. some under 30, and really committed to election reform, environmental reform, tax reform, and engagement. It was the most exciting period I've ever been involved with politically. I was just thinking that as you were mentioning the names, how exciting that would have been. And even though Governor McCall was progressive in many ways, there, I'm sure it wasn't easy the, the entire time. No. You're still butting heads. Yeah. Um, but a lot of work got done. Well, and it was a different attitude. There were a number of Republicans in the legislature, the late Mary Rieke, Mm-hmm. Uh, who worked with Howard Cherry. They had been on the Portland School Board together. Lloyd Kinsey mm-hmm. actually carried the first legislation that was against discrimination based on sexual orientation. A Republican Big carried in the 70s, that. Yeah. We worked in 73. Right. Uh, we were the first state to decriminalize marijuana. And that bill... <laughs> Uh, A number of us worked on it, but the bill, the first and most important speech was given by a Republican pig farmer from Hermiston, Oregon, named Stafford Hansel. Mm -hmm. And it was still, I think, the most compelling speech I ever heard. Wow. As Stafford, who didn't smoke, didn't drink, I don't think he used uh, foul language at all, Uh, but he went through um, a a show-and-tell at his legislative desk. This is a package of cigarettes. <laughs> it kills almost a half million people a year. Mm-hmm. It's legal for an 18-year-old to buy. <laughs> Here's a <laughs> bottle of booze. You know, we have thousands of people uh, killed in yeah. uh, drunk driving accidents. And m- some people who drink alcohol become chronic late-stage alcoholics. <laughs> Perfectly legal. <laughs> <laughs> this is a marijuana cigarette. <laughs> Nobody ever died wow. from using it. And so why do we have this outmoded? I mean, so th- it, it, was, it was really fascinating to watch the give and take, yeah. the bipartisan uh, approach, and people being willing to take some risks. The, the marijuana bill was a little dicey politically at yeah, the time. definitely. Uh, but it passed. So why did you decide to move from the state legislature then into Portland? Well, the uh, working at local government mm-hmm. um, is something, first of all, that you do on a year-round basis. Yeah. You're not commuting to Salem uh, mm-hmm. half of one year and then two days a month for the rest. And you're able to deal with real solid things. I was deeply concerned about the status of our libraries. Um, There was uh, real problems in terms of coordination between the city and the county. Mm. At that time, Multnomah County was the second largest city in the state. (laughs) And it was a real strain to be able to provide city-level urban services for a portion of the county that would be paid for by people in Portland. 
and the city had human resource programs, which should be the So I, I spent uh, a significant amount of time trying to sort that out. I was mm-hmm. really proud of what we did, having a functional consolidation between the city and the county. Uh, both agencies were stronger financially, mm-hmm. uh, and services were improved. The city was a great opportunity. The Being Portland's Commissioner of Public Works is the best local government job in America. I was going to ask you about that. I had a chance to be responsible for land use planning in the city, transportation, uh, environmental services, working emergency communications. But it was just, uh, we got the streetcar rolling, the bike program, expanded light rail. I'd been involved with light rail at both the county and the city, and we had a chance to grow that light rail system from a line. Those were just extraordinarily rewarding and satisfying as we helped fashion an approach to the city of Portland that made it a national model. Mm -hmm. Um, Working with some interesting people, I will say one of the folks in Kink's history who I don't think really got the recognition he deserved was Bud Clark. Yes. Bud was really uh, quite a smart guy. He had very little ego. He didn't care Mm -hmm. who got the credit. Yep. Uh, he wanted stuff done, and he was so genuine, and it was uh, extraordinarily rewarding uh, service with him. And those were tough times economically for the city. Definitely. In the 80s, 33 of Oregon's 36 counties lost population. Uh, Moving away. Just uh, lack of economic opportunities. Yeah. That was one thing uh, former Mayor Bud Clark mentioned when I spoke with him for oh. one of these. Oh. Uh, oh. Your name came up for that conversation, but he talked about the loss of population due to the poor economy. Well, and we also lost population because there was pretty uh, dramatic road construction. Mm-hmm. I mean, we tore the heart out of uh, North Portland mm-hmm. uh, for the I-5 freeway. That's right. Uh, there was a huge challenge about what was going to happen in northwest Portland, and it was a, a massive political battle to spare more of those neighborhoods, which are now some of the most important in the city and have been thriving. A bunch of them were going to be torn up. Near where Highway 30 is right yep. now. Yeah, yep. I remember that. And that was uh, a major effort to have the long yawn instead of a freeway that just ripped through that residential neighborhood. Yeah. And then 205... Uh, removed about 20,000 more people. So we didn't do a good job at the time of planning how they integrated into the city. Uh, A little better job with 205, and there was at least a a right-of-way for light rail. But I-5 just tore the heart out of uh, Portland's African-American community, coupled with some of the urban renewal. Mm -hmm. Um, And those were heated. Yeah. Uh, we didn't do a particularly good job at that time. Most of that was long before I got there, but the reverberations mm-hmm. continued, mm-hmm. continued, which was why it was so important to make the shift. And I, I was pleased to have responsibility for the planning bureau when we did that. We completed the downtown, the central city plan, which I think actually sort of set in, in place uh, the growth and development we had today. We started the first neighborhood plans. Sullivan's Gulch, Kearns, Buckman. Those neighborhoods were, were going to be bulldozed. There mm-hmm. was going to be a bunch of 
cheap apartments. We were going to lose historic structures. We lose the character. Uh, and it, a lot more would be given over to just traffic. And it was fascinating watching citizens react when they had an opportunity to try and plan the individual neighborhood. The Albina community plan mm-hmm. was an opportunity to harness uh, that on a, a broader scale, um, which was uh, wildly successful. Part of the problem, it, w- it was too successful too fast. We really didn't anticipate that the changes would occur as rapidly as they did. Mm-hmm. And so there were people uh, who were priced out of the neighborhood. Yeah. And we didn't do as good a job at the time helping people understand the choices they had Mm -hmm. and be able to have the resources to help them stay there. You're listening to King's Portland 50 series. I'll continue my conversation with Congressman Earl Blumenauer in a moment, but I wanted to thank our sponsor. The Portland 50 series is presented by Jaguar Land Rover Portland. One company, two iconic brands. Jaguar Land Rover Portland is a Don Rasmussen company the legendary Portland institution, serving our community since 1950. Now back to my conversation with Congressman Earl Blumenauer, a former state representative, Multnomah County Commissioner, and Portland City Council member. Congressman Blumenauer was elected to the U.S. House of Representatives in 1996, where he advocates for mass transit, bike commuting, human rights, sustainable energy, health care, and cannabis. Congressman Blumenauer is also a member of the Ways and Means Committee. What could have been done differently to help that move along? Well, part of it is working with people there for them to understand uh, what was coming, how to capture the value. There were people who I'm quite confident somebody came up and offered them $60,000 for their house in northeast Portland, uh, and they jumped at it. They, well... Actually, it was probably worth more. It was going to be worth more. We mm-hmm. could have worked with them to uh, stay in the house, to refinance their mortgage. And take advantage of the growth. Of the growth uh, to be able to stay there. Mm-hmm. We should have, if we'd known how rapidly uh, the values would change, we could have done more to try and capture and keep more of the value there mm-hmm. uh, to have more affordable housing, right. uh, for instance. Now, admittedly, at that time... Uh, it was pretty grim in yeah. north and northeast Portland. There were, uh, I mean, we uh, closed off northeast 14th Place and uh, uh, because there were literal, it was called Crack Alley. There were drive-by shootings virtually every night. And the, mm-hmm. when the, it was no longer possible for the traffic to go through, the, the people threw a little party for me when we, and the, it's still blocked off. People wonder, well, why, why, why is 14th Place? <laughs> well, it was because it was such... Uh, a, a violent stretch of the community. That was the only way to stop it, and it, and it did. We engineered a, a solution. People today who are deeply concerned about how rapidly the neighborhood changed and what has become uh, actually don't remember when people couldn't sell their home for the mortgage balance. Mm. It was a lot of change in the late 80s, early 90s yeah. with home values, particularly yep. in those areas. Yep. And I remember feeling, I, at the time, I'm trying to remember, I've been in my house for 20 years, uh, but at the time I remember thinking, 
I need to start thinking about buying a house because pretty soon I'm yeah. going to be priced out of the market. Yeah, and we and that was an area that that uh, the city should have done more mm-hmm. uh, to help people stay and more people to enter, uh, to capture the in, the run up in value, and for homeowners, yeah. for them to be counseled about how to take advantage of it. Yeah, if all of a sudden the value of their home is tripled, they could. They, they could refinance a loan. Many of them were, were paying because interest rates had been so high. A number of people, you might remember, were paying uh, interest rates that were uh, over 10%. It was nuts. It was brutal. Yeah. Those, those could have been refinanced. They could have lowered their payments. They could have had cash to send kids to school and pay off credit card debt. But it... it um, it was a, it was a missed opportunity. Mm-hmm. I'm hearing a lot of themes, which I knew just because I've been in Portland since 1989. Uh, so I've I've yeah. watched you along the way. But a lot of themes with what you have done in your career: uh, transportation and biking and environment and cannabis. It's wonderful to see that these things are still a passion for you. Well. Yes. The work's not done. No. It's ever evolving. But they are. It's interesting to watch the seeds planted and nurtured because we've we've had our streetcar has has spawned a national streetcar movement and Mm -hmm. being able to work with people in Tucson and Cincinnati and Washington, D.C. and Brooklyn where um, the bike movement. uh, Portland was identified as sort of the uh, epicenter of Mm -hmm. that. Uh, and it's really remarkable what what has happened in terms of giving people more choices. Yes. Uh, and I know it's always uh, controversial, uh, but having over 160 businesses volunteer to give up a parking space in front of their brew pub or their bookstore yeah. um, because that's part of the culture. It has value. It It adds value, gives people more choices, and we've... I think had pretty s- remarkable success in being able to have people help shape what those plans would be, learn from that experience. Mm-hmm. Uh, each project gets a little better. Uh, and it, it, the testimony is all the young people that are moving here now from around the country yeah, and people are staying. I, my kids move back. I am, I am excited about yeah. that. That, uh, but now it's it's a different set of challenges because it's we have to do a better job of being more inclusive. Mm-hmm. We've got to make it a Portland for all, yeah. and it's not just Portland, but the entire region. metropolitan region. Because it's becoming, it, it's not just Portland centric. The Portland ideas and the Portland livability is going out to the suburbs because. That's where the population is. It's what people want. It's what they want. Look at what's happening in Milwaukee, Oregon. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, wow, that's amazing. Look at the development on the light rail in downtown Gresham. Yeah. Uh, and some of the things that are happening now in East, what you know, we call East County or East Portland, uh, there is an energy that is palpable. Yeah. Uh, and makes me quite optimistic that we'll be able to figure out the next 50 years. Yeah, as we continue to grow. So Portland City Council, there was a point in there when you ran for mayor, you've lost two elections in your life. And one of them was to Vera Katz when you ran for mayor. Um, that's not a bad person to lose to. Oh, 
Well, I'd, I'd known Vera forever, yeah. and we'd uh, worked together on a lot of things. Um, and uh, we used to joke about it. It worked out better for me because yeah. if I had, uh, I would probably have stayed much longer at the city mm-hmm. if the voters were willing. And uh, instead, I had an opportunity to carry uh, these issues nationally. Um, and it's been uh, very rewarding for me, and I'm pleased that it worked out that way. I think it's worked out for all of us. 1996, you went to Congress, and you've worked on a number of things, including transportation, but you, um, you, ha- you were involved in a number of caucuses, and I mentioned this just a few minutes ago, where your interests continue, the cannabis, uh, renewable energy, bike commuting, human rights, uh, oceans, and wild salmon, and also you serve on the Ways and Means Committee, which I know is a pretty big deal. I don't know much about, you know, the hierarchy there, but I know Ways and Means is, is a pretty it's, big it's deal. It's the oldest and some would argue the, the most prestigious yeah. committee in Congress. It has a hand on all the tax and trade mm-hmm. and uh, social security, uh, health care. important um, things. Many it's, of the important it's things. A, it's a great platform to serve the community and be involved with national issues. Yeah. For, so for the last couple of decades, uh, serving with a number of different administrations, I'm going to guess <laughs> this one might yes. be a little challenging. Oh. I've, well, we've, as we've discussed, I've been doing this all my adult all, life. Yeah. This is my career, trying to help uh, make the government process work better for the people that I represent. And I mentioned that I, I was pleased uh, to learn early that you don't have to get hung up on partisan differences. I mean, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm a Democrat. I want my team to win, uh, and I work on that. Um, and I think the record is pretty strong. But we worked hand-in-glove with Republicans. I, I worked with the late Senator Mark Hatfield, mm-hmm. a gentleman I deeply respected and admired. We were able to get things done. It's, this, well, is, this is a weird... Well, mentioning that, you're working with uh, Dana Rohrbacher. On <laughs> marijuana reform, right? So, well, I yeah. well, I, I, but virtually everything I do starts out as being bipartisan. I'm Absolutely. I'm working with uh, a, a physician in Congress from Tennessee, Dr. Phil Rowe, who hates Obamacare, but he's been working with me on end of life care, mm-hmm. death panels. Uh, I have uh, a number of things that I do in transportation with uh, Republican colleagues. So my first reflex is, how do we get along? What can Mm -hmm. we do together? And this crew in the Trump administration are just unlike anything I've seen. Um, Many of my Republican friends can't stand them, but they're afraid to say so. It has been a tough phase to weather, Mm -hmm. uh, and it's not over. No, it's not. Is is the perception that the challenges for working across party lines is greater now than it was even 10 years ago, or is this just... Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. I was hoping you'd say no, but I had a no. feeling. This is, this is um, there's never been a point in my career where I couldn't find uh, Republican colleagues to work with. There's never yeah. been a point in my career where I couldn't find somebody in the Bush administration to work yeah. on international water and sanitation or uh, fighting illegal logging. I mean, mm-hmm. there's always been an opportunity. Yeah. And um, this is just um, really disorienting and uh, very distressing. Yeah, it's, it's disappointing. Moving forward then, 
how do you weather a storm like this? I mean, it seems like many folks in Washington on both sides are 17 months in still trying to figure out how to work with the administration. Well, and I don't think uh, most people are going to be able to because the administration, you know, Trump changes his mind sometimes in the same paragraph. Uh, You watch him negotiate a deal on television and then walk away from it. It's, uh, that's going to be the reality. But for me, part of it is, that's why I come home every week because what happens here, the people in Portland, the things that we are working on uh, really just uh, lifts my spirits. Mm-hmm. There are people who will work. We, we, did, uh, we just recently passed uh, legislation in the House dealing with the opioid crisis and making sure that uh, emergency room physicians knew the entire condition of their patient. There have been some artificial barriers for them to be able to get the information with people who have opioid addiction. Uh, And I work with uh, my friend Greg Walden, who I don't agree with a lot on health care, but we work together on that with uh, Republicans and Democrats. And um, I just had a meeting this morning with healthcare professionals who started by saying how important that was for them to be able. So there are these items. The cannabis reform uh, is sweeping the nation and it's actually being driven at the state and local level. Transportation continues to be an area where there are opportunities. Animal protection. Mm -hmm. I do a lot of work with animal protection and and animal welfare is not a partisan issue. Absolutely not. And we're fighting to advance those things. So finding things that people can agree on Mm -hmm. while in my spare time I work to try and get you a better Congress. (laughs) (laughs) Well, before I let you go, there was one thing I remembered uh, this morning as I was putting together my notes. May 19th, 2009, it was a month after Les passed away. And it was just after you were here in town at Pioneer Courthouse Square where we had a nice memorial there. And you stood on, and I'm getting uh, goosebumps uh, saying this, you stood on the floor of the house and you uh, spoke very eloquently about Les, and I know he he enjoyed all of the conversations that he would have with you. As his producer, he would say, you know, see if we can get Earl on the line to talk about this, and you would help break things down. So I want to play that after as part of this segment, but well, that was really was, wonderful. Uh, Les and Kink were an important part of the voice yeah. for a lot of what we've talked about, mm-hmm. and he was a very special person for over 20 years, and a good human being and friend. Absolutely. Thank you so much, Congressman. Yeah, thank you. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. This is an era where new media and communication devices are seemingly created overnight. Was it only three years ago that YouTube bounced on the scene? It seems like it was last week that we first heard about Twitter. Well, the first and most influential of the new media still plays a large role in our lives. Radio captures that magic in part because of the captivate us with their distinctive voices and wit made larger than life by how much was left to our imagination in terms of the production and even what they looked like. William Conrad was the radio voice of Gunsmoke's Marshal Matt Dillon, who was played on TV by actor James Arness, six foot six, tall, rangy, with craggy good looks. William Conrad, the radio voice, 
uh, sounded that way, but he was short, rotund, and while he looked distinctive, few would confuse him with a matinee idol. From Fred Allen, Jack Benny, and Edward R. Murrow, to Scott Simon and Garrison Keillor today, these people play an important role, not just in communication and entertainment medium, but in the lives of Americans. In much of the commercial radio wasteland today, where content is centralized and digitized while cost cut, local personalities who played such a profound role in virtually every community are more and more a distant memory. In my hometown of Portland, Oregon, we're still blessed with a few distinctive local voices, but sadly last month we lost one who can only be described as an icon. For decades, Les Sarnoff was the most distinctive personality in what started as an idiosyncratic, offbeat, obscure FM station. He helped it grow into a major commercial success in a Portland fixture. The characteristics that made him such a well-respected professional and beloved local figure helped him rise above and survive the turmoil in the industry, the often destructive changes to brighten the mornings of tens of thousands of my neighbors every day for the better part of 10 decades. Les was a dedicated and disciplined professional, rising shortly after midnight every weekday to spend hours in preparation before his morning shift. He was a step ahead of legitimate trends in music, but with a profound respect for both music and artists that was timeless. He had a rapport and a chemistry with not only his audience, but the outstanding people that were part of his morning team over the years. Despite a demanding schedule and brutal hours, Les always seemed to make time to be part of the community events and public affairs. Now, media and people in politics need for professional and ethical reasons to maintain a certain distance. And far more important to a media personality like Les than a politician like me. And observe it he did, but always with the sense that I was a friend, with a sense of interest and awareness whenever I would visit him in the station or more often do a telephone interview from our nation's capital or an occasional lunch or interaction at a civic event. But it was not Les Sarnoff letting his guard down. It was Les revealing that at core he liked, understood, and respected everyone. He was curious, funny, and caring. Even in his passing, Les brought our community together as thousands gathered Sunday to honor his memory in Portland's Pioneer Square, our front yard. By reflecting on his life, we reflect on ours. To his wife, Rita, Les's many friends and colleagues, because of his love for and work with you, we have all been touched. We will never be the same without Les, but also we will never be the same because of Les Sarnoff. Thank you for joining me for my conversation with Congressman Earl Blumenauer. If you've missed any of the previous podcasts, you can find them at our website at kink.fm. Be sure to like and subscribe to the Portland 50 podcast wherever you're listening. The Portland 50 is a podcast series celebrating King's 50th anniversary, and it's about the people who dreamt, built, and championed the innovation, growth, and uniqueness of Portland. The series is presented by Jaguar Land Rover Portland, one company, two iconic brands. Jaguar Land Rover Portland is a Don Rasmussen company, the legendary Portland institution, serving our community since 1950.